Hello, Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, as always, uh, my name is Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter and Revenge of the Birds. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Venerable John Venerable, and we're going to talk about free agency today. But before we get to free agency, John, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Blake. We are recording this on a Tuesday night, so essentially one and a half weeks into free agency. Uh, feeling pretty good about where the Cardinals are at after the first initial wave, but clearly a team that, that needs to do more as we progress throughout the rest of the offseason leading up to the draft. But um, a couple couple nice additions that we'll, that we'll talk about tonight. Yeah, I know. We, we can talk. We'll get to talking about some of the players who are away. Um, just one thing, at least real quick. Uh, we are recording tonight, at least uh, the night of or the day, I should say, of the Cardinals visiting Oklahoma uh, having a private workout with Kyler Murray. Did not go to the pro day, but they did also apparently be able they did at least meet with some of the other offensive linemen. I, I think, John, I even mentioned that the Cardinals could use those offensive linemen potentially even more than they could use Murray. Uh, for those wondering, we are going to have an interview with um, Derek Clausen, QB class later this week. Um, so that's something that you'll be able to look forward to just for some of the breakdown of Rosen Murray with the decision the Cardinals are at. Um, so that's something we'll be able to get into. It won't be on this podcast. You can look forward to the next one. We'll be breaking down free agency. And uh, John, the biggest one that we're going to start with tonight is the, the big splash, which was a move that Steve Kime made that probably rectified a lot of mistakes that were made in the past um, for one reason or another, but Terrell Suggs is officially an Arizona Cardinal. Previously spent about, what, some 16 or so years with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he's joining the team as a linebacker. He'll be lining up across Chandler Jones, and uh, the first time when I saw this and was going through, the first thing I thought at least was, uh, ultimately, this is probably the ultimate Steve Kime signing. He's a one-year deal. He's pushed back a bit of dead money, we found out, into the 2020 season at least, so he can have a little bit more cap space this season. Bring in a guy who's near the end of his career to finish it off for the most part, but it's at a cheap deal for a productive player who I think, honestly, is going to have at least a decent season, if assuming he can stay healthy across from Chandler Jones. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. Um, you, I don't think you can bring up Suggs without talking about that 2003 draft. For those who maybe weren't following the team at that point, Suggs was coming out of Arizona State. And at that point in the franchise's history, especially within the state of Arizona, they were pretty irrelevant. And for somebody like Suggs, who was a homegrown talent, to come out and basically say, I want to be drafted by this franchise. I want to help be a part of the solution. I want to help turn this franchise around. Um, and the Cardinals essentially dismissed that and allowed the Baltimore Ravens to trade up for Suggs. Uh, the Ravens, of course, taking him with pick 10. The Cardinals opting to add. It's kind of poetic with what's going on this year and, and the talk of trading down with Oakland and accumulating more picks, which is what the Cardinals did in 2003. They took Bryant Johnson, who was a wide receiver out of Penn State, who was a mediocre starter. Uh, for them, and then, of course, took Calvin Pace, who ended up having a nice career with the New York Jets, but did very little for the Arizona Cardinals. He, of course, also played outside linebacker. The Cardinals had back-to-back picks 17 and 18 in 2003, and Suggs, I think, is going to go on to be a, a Hall of Famer in Canton's, got uh, a Super Bowl on his resume, and is has been one of the more consistent players in the NFL over the course of his tenure, um, 132 sacks in his career, and it's kind of startling that he's not going to finish his career in Baltimore, but in, in his in his presser that he recently had with the team basically said, I, w- I wanted to come home and play for, 
for my home state, which, you know, it's kind of a gut punch at this point. You figure at, at most he's going to be with the team one or two years. Uh, he's going to be, of course, 37 uh, into into next season. Um, can he still produce? Absolutely. He, I think he was on the field for roughly 70% of the plays last year. So you figure you tick that down just a bit, uh, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 or 60. Could he share playing time with somebody like Nick Bosa? That remains to be seen. But from a productivity standpoint, which is what I want to focus on, the sentimental stuff is is fine. I think that's more of a kind of look over here while we maybe discombobulate the quarterback situation a little bit. Um, I think I think it's a little bit of a PR stunt, but at the same time, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to work against some of the lesser tackles around the league when you have Chandler Jones out manning the other side of that 3-4 outside linebacking course. So, you know, I think it's a fine move. I think with the Cardinals, investing in older players is fine if you want to do that for a one- or two-year deal. You know, we talked about the potential for this team to invest in the offensive line and, and garner some of these high-profile names that are going to be, you know, turning the wrong side of 30. At least with Suggs, you know, okay, it's going to be a year-to-year basis. He still obviously takes a great amount of pride in, right. in his body and in, in his productivity. You figure out worse, he's somebody who's going to give you a handful of sacks next year and, and at least be able to help mentor some of these younger players on the team. And the one thing I think that he does bring that probably isn't being talked enough about is he, he is somebody who will get after people in the locker room. He will hold folks accountable. I think Vance Joseph really – was looking for, for a leader on the field uh, defensively. You've got guys like Patrick Peterson. You, you've got some of these other guys who can be vocal, but Suggs has a presence about him that that front last year, that 3-4 front that they're converting to this year, w- was just embarrassed last year with the transition to a 4-3 with Steve Wilkes. I think that they're, they're still looking for an identity outside of Chandler Jones. Um, clearly, they're remodeled that with Suggs and the, and, and the newest addition, Jordan Hicks, which we'll get to. Um, I think it's a fine addition. I am just personally not going as crazy for it as some of the other folks are because of the age, because of the contract, because of where the Cardinals are. Um, but I, I, I have no problem with it. Yeah, for me, it was interesting because it was almost just about like the Ravens were, you know, some the Ravens, they almost a max, mass exodus of <laughs> players from that vaunted defense. They replaced quite a few of them. They even added Earl Thomas back. But it was interesting, at least for Suggs, when it was time to move on because either they were offering him much more than that minimum in Baltimore. And I think it was a combination, at least then, of also with whether it was Arizona, the fit. It was just, it just felt like it was time to move on. But I do think, and I know you and I have talked about this, John, we're kind of on the same page, is because it's a one-year deal for a 37-year-old player, if the Arizona Cardinals end up just not able to trade down or stay put, what we've seen in the past what Steve Kime has done is he's brought in a veteran player to mentor a first-round draft pick. We've seen that with Calais Campbell supposedly being the mentor for Robert Kondichu. We even saw it in camp, at least, where Kondichu was spending a lot of time around Calais. We saw them reach out and sign Carlos Sandsby to a one-year deal to essentially kind of you know, teach us on Reddick how to play the inside linebacker position. Neither worked out, I think, the way that Kime intended. We also saw, I think, with um, interesting examples, you know, in the last year of his contract, Bobby Massey was going to be leaving the team. He was going to get paid. The Cardinals were not going to keep him. And you saw them draft DJ Humphreys and essentially set a year on the bench. Kime seems to always prep a year in advance because he doesn't want to thrust a rookie into action right away. He would prefer to give that guy time to be able to go in to adjust and move on. And then it's more of when I guess you can say they earn it or there's opportunity due to injury or, you know, other reasons. Like that was even the case here with the Cardinals. They signed Sam Bradford to one-year deal with a second-year option, overpaid for him, obviously, and it sunk some dead money into him. 
But the whole intention was obviously that, hey, we could have a second-year option, but what we want to do for the Cardinals is to draft a quarterback this year. Don't know if we'll be able to. I think that this is a maybe not a telling sign for that one, but I don't think that it rules out them drafting Nick Bosa. It also does give them a year of production should they decide to, you know, say that Quentin Williams is a better player. Uh, or should they decide to, you know, end up do decide to spring for Kyler Murray. But it was a very interesting to see was if we're going to kind of look at predictable behavior. I found it almost a stronger indication that they could draft Nick Bosa versus a, oh, they filled that hole for that one. They're definitely drafting Quinn and are taking Kyler as far as the way that we've seen Kyle work in the past. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it kind of an underrated aspect of this. Uh, you saw last year how active the NFL trading deadline was. I think the Cardinals could be in a position, let's say they take Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa is, is progressing faster than they assume. They want to get him on the field pretty consistently. Or the Cardinals completely fall out of it, which is totally plausible at that point. And you're looking to deal Suggs at the deadline, and, and he could go to a contender to help during you know the stretch run. He, that's, it's a contract that's very easy to move. We talked about it being a one-year deal. I think you could swing Terrell Suggs. I know it's crazy to talk like this. This is kind of like a baseball-esque topic where you sign a player in the offseason, you flip him at the deadline for a pick. But I, I think that that could happen with Suggs. I, I really do. If the Cardinals are in a position where they either have Nick Bosa playing well and they're going to give him the rest of the, the season to take the reins, or if you're, if you're completely out of it, you want to do right by Suggs, you get his permission, you trade him to a contender and maybe you're able to garner a, a day three pick. I think I think that could be a possibility. Uh, of course, way down the line, they just signed him. It's, it's ludicrous to talk about trading him. But with the way uh, the Cardinals are set up right now, um, I don't anticipate they're going to have too much success win-loss-wise next year. And I think that we need to consistently be looking at ways to improve this roster yeah. uh, beyond 2019. And maybe, maybe it's not even... Suggs, that's the case. Maybe it ends up being instead it would be like a guy like a Brooks Reed all of a sudden who would be kind of brought in to play the linebacker becomes yeah. a bit more expendable. I do think the one thing that, and this is what I recognize, was with Nick Bosa coming in, he might be able to plug right in at linebacker, but it wouldn't be right away because he played defensive end for the three years in college. So if he's going to be taking on an outside linebacker role, he's not going to be plugging straight onto the D-line. He'd be a linebacker here for Arizona with Vance Joseph and his scheme. You would probably be able to put him on the field for some of those different downs, but maybe not all of them, especially if he is to drop back into coverage. Having the flexibility of a guy who's played linebacker before in Suggs to be able to do that, to me, it also makes a lot of sense. And that's where there's there's guys also, I think, that the Cardinals normally have strayed away from as far as I guess you'd call it like maybe like a dog or more of those guys who can, you know, just get after. And a lot of times you'll have the toughness and leadership. Jermaine Gresham was like that for Arians for a number of years. He would be the guy who, you know, sometimes it would be a little bit too much, unfortunately, but you'd have some of those guys. Calais was a guy who they're always seeming to prod or push to have to kind of get after. Darnell Dockett is the easiest example you can think of in Cardinals memory, at least for one of those greats. So I would think that if you're going to talk about a perfect world, Cardinals aren't able to trade back, so then your perfect role would be Terrell Suggs plays the first eight games or so of the year. Bosa comes in. It's a situational rusher being able to learn and then takes over second half of the year and is able to kind of flow and develop at least for that one. It's a little bit more 
leeway versus being thrust in immediately into the role. That would be if the Cardinals are truly going to use Terrell Suggs that way. That would be my guess as to part of that. Or you're just looking at him as a guy who's going to play, you know, 50 to 75% of the time, rotate out with Brooks Reed. Fills a whole lot and gets you an upgrade, a guy that they did not have last year, not in Golden, not in Dora. And I, I really did like, uh, do like Marcus Golden. Did feel like it was definitely time for the team to move on um, from him, for him to get a fresh start, especially with a guy who he's familiar with. Let's move on and talk at least on the other two big things. We've already talked, obviously, about Alfred. We've talked a bit about Clay. The biggest signing that the Cardinals had, and I think that was as far as for impact, would be Jordan Hicks, who when you were looking at and we were talking about this with C.J. Mosley, as far as when did the price and the versus the value C.J. Mosley go too high? For me, it crossed that line when it went over the $15 million a year and yeah. you saw the number of years. Uh, I think I would have been fine. Like, at a, there's a certain point for that one because you're looking at, you know, there's questions about some of the areas in coverage. You've seen that you're more than recognized. You're paying for the leadership, the consistency, the production that's been there. For the price that they're getting for their signing of Jordan Hicks, uh, it's interesting because his best skills and attributes ultimately are not just in the run, but also in coverage. He's got about only $20 million in guarantee versus. Uh, CJ Mosley perhaps making closer to even Nick Foles money, which was you know shocking, but Jets got to spend that cap space somehow. Cardinals may have been one of the teams I think that drove that up. So it's a, a little bit disappointing, I think, at least overall that the Cardinals aren't seeing a guy like Mosley who's proven. They're taking on a guy who has had some injuries in the past, but this was probably the second best guy I would have gotten out there. There's still obviously no word on uh, Brandon Marshall, that's still maybe a possibility at least, but this is probably uh, my favorite signing because if he does end up having a spot where he's not going to be, you know, turning into a Stuart Bradley or spending time off of the roster, he's going to outplay the current contract. He's had just like I think Chandler Jones outplayed his contract, and we've seen Patrick Peterson outplay his contract at 27 years old. And so I think it's uh, the contract, there's a little bit of question like the Cardinals would if the, he gets hurt and they have to get out of it after year one. There's going to be some issues. There's going to be a little bit of dead money, but overall, in the total amount that was guaranteed and you saw what some teams were throwing out there I, I thought this was a great move by the Cardinals to bring in that Mike linebacker to kind of be that middle of the field leader on defense and a guy who can be on the field all three downs without coverage concerns yeah this was their I mean you talk about Suggs that probably gets majority of the headlines this was their big free agent signing Ground jewel. Up, up, <laughs> yeah up to this point on March 19th they could add uh, down the line one or two year deals for certain guys this was it. This was the guy that they, I think, pivoted to. I say pivoted to because uh, at the end of the day, they would have paid C.J. Mosley the most money any inside linebacker has ever made. But when it got to the point where the New York Jets and the Indianapolis Colts, for that matter, were in on it till the very end, could flex their payroll muscle, which the Cardinals do not have, the Cardinals had to bow out. They had to pivot to Jordan Hicks, who I believe was their second choice. Again, that doesn't mean that they didn't want C.J. Mosley. They just could not outbid the New York Jets, who had $100 million in cap space. Um, and so moving on to Jordan Hicks, listen, all these guys have question marks. All these guys come with a, some kind of grain of salt because if they were, you know, surefire guys, the teams wouldn't, the teams that they're leaving wouldn't allow them to leave at the end of the day. But you know, the reason I think you can get excited about Hicks, first of all, he's a pro football focused darling. I think he's a top 10 to 12 rated middle he's linebacker. Two for, the, for the last, over the last few years, as far as the grades, especially in coverage. So, yeah. yeah but he, the, 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 the issues with Hicks is, is, is consistency on the field when, when he's 
excuse me, the issues with Hicks is, is getting on the field consistently being healthy. He's only played 19 games over the course of the last two seasons. But if you wind the clocks back to 2016, which was his best year, he played all 16 games. Mm -hmm. He had 56 solo tackles. But uh, again, you mentioned it, Blake, the coverage, his ability to move in space, I think kind of separates him from the rest of this linebacking core class, even Mosley to an effect, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people think is kind of a little bit of a throwback run-stuffing linebacker. Hicks is kind of the opposite, whereas he, he defended 11 passes that year. He had a, an astonishing number of interceptions. Five is r- ridiculous. I'm not even sure Patrick Peterson has ever had five in, in his entire career uh, for one season. Now, even going back to last year, only playing in 12 games, 91 uh, combined tackles, five passes defense. So he is a player that when he's healthy, he is, I, I believe, a top 10 middle linebacker in football. He's only 26 years old. You would presume, again, if he's healthy, knock on wood, uh, he'll be 27 when the season starts. The Cardinals should be able to get some of the best ball of his career. Now, they're only going to pay him, I believe, $36 million worth of incentives on that four-year contract, which includes a $12 million signing bonus, $20 million, of course, of that uh, 36000000 guaranteed. And it's a nice contract for Hicks for a lot of a lot of different reasons, but it gives him... I think some stability. I think there were concerns um, leaving Philadelphia. He has uh, a very close relationship with that fan base. He's beloved there. But, you know, they've made a lot of investments specifically on the offensive side, and they, they chose to let Hicks walk. And I, I think it's going to benefit the Cardinals. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see how he does in a traditional 3-4 because, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Swartz has been their defensive coordinator. They've run a 4-3 predominantly. He played that that Mike linebacker, that middle linebacker, and now he's going to be working alongside, you would assume, Hassan Reddick uh, as the two inside linebackers. I still would like to see the Cardinals get uh, a little bit of a, a bigger presence at that other linebacking spot. I, I don't love Hassan Reddick next to Jordan Hicks. Like you mentioned, I think Brandon Marshall, if the price comes down, if health is permitting, uh, I think he I think he's still absolutely in play. Um, and you've seen with, with a lot of these guys – these middle linebackers have injury concerns across the board. Quan Alexander got a lot of money from San Francisco up front. He's coming off a torn ACL. We talked and about he also Hicks. got like a one year at a time type of deal. Some people are like, oh, that's great. Why didn't Steve Kine make that deal? Some of it was, well, he had two ACLs in his year. Or Jordan Hicks tore his Achilles and then had some other type of injuries that was ever never had like that type of a – Right. That, I mean, he, Quan's coming off of a major injury to the point where – the, the Niners may not get the best version of Quan until year two of that contract, but what they're rolling the dice is he's younger. He's, he's only 24 years old. I don't think he turns 25 until right before the start of the season, and he's had a more productive career. I mean, Quan's 2016 season is, is frankly better than what Jordan Hicks had. I think he had – I think he almost led the league in tackles. I know that can be an overrated stat, but he had over 100 tackles, three sacks, seven passes defense. I mean, he – Kind of a, he's got a little bit of Dale Washington in him. He's got that LSU speed, 6'1", 227. So he, he's a better player when healthy. But at the end of the day, you know, how many times are we going to knock Steve Kahn for taking, it, uh, you know, for taking these guys who've got injury concerns? Cardinals have enough hurt players as it is. Mm-hmm. And you thought, when you talk about guys like Robert Kimdichie, presumably tore his ACL. So, you know, I like the, the Hicks gamble. Uh, again, I would have preferred C.J. Mosley, but at the end of the day, when teams are making C.J. Mosley not only the highest-paid inside linebacker, but one of the highest-paid players, period, in the NFL and, and top five for defensive players, 
Uh, it just it got to the point where the Cardinals, with all of their dead money from the, the previous quarterbacks that they signed last offseason, it just it wasn't a plausible situation. I'm surprised Baltimore let him go, but once they did, they opted not to franchise tag him. Um, you know, he, it was it was probably the the the, the, the highest courting of any free agent, specifically on the defensive side that we saw during uh, the initial wave of free agency. Yep, and that's another thing, at least, is like we talk about with Steve Kaiman value, and sometimes people will, like poke holes in it. Like he's always signing injured players or trying to go for value versus that one. Some of that is also the fact that if you're looking at that, I think it's a positive. You want to try to find a guy who will outplay his current contract, whereas C.J. Mosley, what we can both, I think, agree on, John, is because of just how much they've committed to him, there's like almost no way that he can live up yeah, to that it's gonna be it's going to be next to impossible. Yeah, so that's the one thing, at least, that's over there, and that's something I think that at least is for all that we've talked and given flack on kind of, I have come back to where some people, I think, have gone completely to, you know, he can do no wrong, and then a lot of people have looked at those first-round picks and are just like, well, he's a terrible GM for all that. A lot of people's opinion <laughs> actively hinge on what they do with the quarterback position here, but that's a little bit beside the point. Let's move on to the, uh, the, the next signing, at least that Hicks was a big one for me just because you at least were needed uh, one linebacker. I personally would agree with you. I would still honestly go and pursue Brandon Marshall. He's probably looking for a multi-year deal, and teams are looking at him at 30 years old, want to give him a one-year deal. I think that it's going to be really interesting for – the Cardinals and Hassan Reddick because I would go out and get Brandon Marshall as far as for that type of a deal because I don't know if you can count on Reddick as far as being no. able to start for all of that. You haven't seen it that, and you'd be able to have Marshall either as valuable, incredible depth, or you could even just say, hey, Hassan, here's the thing. We know you've never had a consistent defense since you've been in college. You've moved from safety to defensive end to linebacker to learning a new scheme your first year, learning another scheme your second year, and now another scheme your third year. You say, hey, we're going to say we're committing at least to having two years with Vance Joseph. Let's see if you want to basically take a break and, you know, learn, be able to perform and play. And then when he comes back, if he's able to take over in his contract year, you can then be able to say, hey, you know, maybe it just takes – usually we always say the three-year is what you're looking for. The fourth year, at least, is what you have to have. Maybe the Cardinals don't do that, but I would definitely look at signing Marshall for that aspect just because if you right now are looking at the team's depth without him, it's like you got Joe Walker. Um, speaking of which, the other thing that was interesting on Hicks to look at was a former coach of his, Bill Davis, linebackers coach for Philly, had a couple years with him. You're also seeing how Bill Davis was a coach, at least with Nick Boston, not positional coach, say, but it was under him. You've seen a couple of interests in some of the guys with – people on the team like uh you know i've seen people banded around andy isabella and antoine wesley because of those coaching connections one that is another one that we did at least get to see with the offensive line was max garcia we'll talk about him as the depth because that connection before the cardinals a guy that they signed to essentially start across from justin Pugh. garcia is interesting because he's a guy who was like kind of this like you know rock iron man playing all these different games and then he just kind of started having injury after injury he's right now just a depth guy he's coming off an acl tear that happened in mid-november so he's a guy who you're looking at it's like oh gosh like he may not be completely ready to start the season one year contract um he started 41 of 57 games and that's one thing you always want to look at is how many games you start it's back with sean coogler i think that this is kind of your Justin Pugh, in case of emergency, break glass guy. That just seems to be exactly what it is. He provides depth behind your starting guards. He's clearly a guard. And if you end up having Justin Pugh spend time getting hurt or just isn't effective, you at least have enough familiarity. I like this signing. The biggest downside I have, at least, is you don't want ever to be this a signing where you're counting on the guy because you just have not been able to see the performance and being on the field the last couple of years for him. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think the familiarity with Kugler is, is probably the biggest reason he's going to get a shot. Uh, I think we haven't touched on J.R. Sweezy yet, um, but I, I think that, you know, for the most part, this offensive line is going to see what sticks. Uh, and wh what I mean by that is they're going to throw a lot of different combinations at this group. Nothing is set in stone. Guys like Max Garcia, guys like J.R. Sweezy come in with – with starting jobs potentially in pencil or competing for starting jobs in pencil. But after hopefully what's a productive draft class and a couple of added bodies on the offensive line uh, come late April, it, the, the best five players are going to play. And I, I like that mantra that they're, they're kind of taking hold of now. Now listen, DJ Humphreys with his cap hit, he's going to get probably first crack at left tackle. You would assume Justin Pugh is going to move back to his traditional spot at left guard. Mason Cole, uh, after starting 16 games last year, he's earned a lot of people's respect. And, of course, Marcus Gilbert was acquired to be the right tackle this year. That right guard spot, I think, is, is really very much up for grabs. Garcia is coming off an ACL tear that I think happened in, in, during a practice, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it was during a game. but he no, was, it was a, during practice, yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's crazy. Uh, but, again, he's, he's going to be rehabbing. I, I'd be anxious to see how he looks come preseason if he has an opportunity to, to showcase his ability because I, I do think he has a little bit of a higher upside than somebody like Sweezy. We haven't touched on yet, Blake. He's a little bit younger. He's got familiarity with the coaching staff. I think he's just a better run blocker, and I think this, this team wants to run the football effectively. You've heard Kimes' comments, but you know, to me, I don't. I don't think there's any harm. And you, you know, I mentioned this break previously in, in podcasts that we've done leading up to free agency. I would rather sign a group of veteran offensive linemen to to lower price point deals that maybe are a notch or two below some of these other guys getting crazy money mm -hmm. that are approaching or exceeding 30, 30 years old. Right. And and what and and that allows you flexibility then to move off of them quicker. And if they exceed your expectations, great. By all means, lock them up or let them walk and get a comp pick. But, you know, you see some of these players, the amount of money that's being doled out for middling offensive line talent, I think is, is kind of where the Cardinals are got them to the to this point, right? They overpaid Mike Ayupati for you know, one year of productive play, and then he just absolutely fell off a cliff. Justin Pugh last year, we both thought that was an overpay, but maybe he'd add some stability. He, yeah. instantly, he instantly got hurt. So bringing in guys like Sweezy and Garcia to me on one- or two-year deals, and you, you pencil them in as starters, but you, you leave it open to interpretation based on hopefully a productive draft class. I like this mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, I like this revolving vo revolving door with veteran free agents. It's what Bill Belichick does. Um, I think it's what the best front offices do. Um, try to develop for once in your franchise since they moved to Arizona. Try to develop some young guys and then have these veterans as, as kind of a backup plan. And then if you need to supplement them throughout the, their duration of the season, at least you've got them over, you know, grasping at straws on the on the you know, waiver wire or the practice squad, which is what we saw time and time again last year. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting is I actually am a bigger fan, I think, than a lot of Cardinals fans of the Sweezy signing because he, he essentially played in last year's playoff game with a broken foot, like you couldn't take him off the field. and He was part of one of the better run-blocking units once they finally got rid of Tom Cable. Yeah, he's tough, no doubt. Yeah, tough guy, he'll be on there. He'll be able to also pull because he's still athletic enough. You know, your hope is that he's not going to you know, continually be able to break down, but because of that toughness, that edge, if you can look at him and just say, hey, if this can be a guard version 
of what you saw with Lyle Sandline of being that type of Iron Man who's down there. Maybe it's not going to be as far as the quality of player getting, but he's able to block for the guy in front of him. He's not making the errors and the mistakes. That is basically giving them an alignment they did not have at all last year for the Cardinals. And yeah, well, that was really absolutely. Supply in the 2017 season. They had a really difficult time. At the they just, we've talked about it before, Blake. They just need somebody who can start and play competent football for 14 to 16 games. That's it. So there's some kind of continuity on the offensive line. We, you don't even have to be, play above average football. Just just be average and, and be available. And I think he can absolutely do that for them. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. And that's where I'm – it's also a spot of where we'll see what the Seahawks do as far as, like, replacing him. If they think they can upgrade, the Seahawks did want to keep him, is what it said, just at the right price. He's getting up there closer to age 30. Um I still think at least it was, uh, it wasn't exactly the signing that I looked at that I was looking at was signing Roger Saffold. He ends up going to the Titans on a, a four year deal. I would have leaned toward a three year deal. Essentially it's a two year deal. Cause you can cut him. But for me, that fourth year was interesting because you know, he'll be 34 by that time. You would think that he would want less years on his deal to hit free agency again, potentially versus long-term security. Like we talked about with David Johnson, that fourth year deal gives the team flexibility versus the player. I think that maybe it was that fourth year at least of trying to push up that guaranteed money that may have pushed him out of the Cardinals reach. And when you're talking about signing 30-year-old guards who he had a sometime with some injury stuff in the past, at least I think yep. he played through injury this year. That was where I gave caution, but it was the guy of like, oh, he's going to be on the field. He'll still be able to play at a high level for the next one to two years. It would have felt very much like the Mikey Potty signing where you would have just locked down the position. As it is the biggest downside is they still don't really have that spot locked down as far as you say, oh, yes, this is a lineman who I know is going to be here through the 2020 season. Right now, they don't have one of those guys, John. We have DJ Humphreys' contract is up next year. You have Justin Pugh, who you can't really get out of the contract until after 2020 because of the way that they structured it for that one. Maybe you end up having to eat some dead money if he ends up being like a, you know, I think it was the, who was the guy, the backup guard that they signed from the uh, Niner a few years ago. Oh gosh, it's going to escape me. But it was Adam Snyder. Snyder. Was it Adam right? Sn- yeah. Snyder was the one that was just, they paid him starting money. He was a journeyman guard. He could play multiple positions, just didn't play them well. If that's the case and it's like, you know, DEFCON 1, then maybe you're going to have to look at that one for him. But I think he's going to be on the roster the next year, maybe the next two. Um, he's got a lot to prove, obviously, this year. Yeah, You don't know as far as with the third-round pick still. Your hope is that he'll get stronger, be able to improve, and become that franchise center for you is what you'd like with Mason Cole. But you got one-year deal on Mar- Marcus Gilbert, and you got a one-year deal on – uh, essentially with J.R. Sweezy. Cardinals, if they're going to build up their offensive line, I know we've talked about this, John, they have to draft players. They'll have to draft them early. They probably aren't drafting one at pick number one. I don't even think they're going to draft one if they trade back to four the Raiders if they traded back to six with the Giants just because of the way that the draft is entered this year and the where the talent is. I think they're going to have to tra- draft guys on day two and day three this year and next year, and that's going to be how you're going to have to build this team, build this roster, no matter who your quarterback is. But in the meantime, I'm at least glad that they're able to you know, land some of these guys where you have addressed the position for the year. You maybe yep. have not built it, but you did more, I think, this year than you did last year. I, last year, I was like, oh, as soon as your potty goes down, that's it. As soon as you see issues, at least with Pew, you don't have depth behind him. They had to bring in Odeabushi end of the year. He gets a deal from the Lions. And you just knew that Andre Smith was just going to be a, a turnstile. When you lost John Wetzel, you kind of lost your offensive line MVP in a lot of different ways who could have filled in at guard tackle all over the place. And you had to essentially well, and Corey Cunningham will be a guy that we'll see if he ends up seeing some playing time or not as a swingman. I like the role that they have him in, but yeah, John, right now I think that the Cardinals aren't really in a position to sign any more, um, 
at least offensive linemen outside of just fleshing out the position that the draft would be the next place that I would look for, for talent. Uh, let's go over the, the rest of the offense. I know that we've not seen any real defensive linemen. My hope, obviously, if I could pick any, I, I would bring back, I would say if they can work out a deal to bring back Rodney Gunter, I think that would be the easiest out of all the players that are there. I think he's probably one of the better options. You still see Muhammad Wilkerson is out there. And there's an, uh, I think one more player at least that I can think of that would be Timmy Jernigan. Yeah, Jernigan would be a guy at least that you've talked and mentioned about at least for the most part. Um, yeah. The Cardinals, at least they do have a need on the defensive line. That's been there. The guy that they signed, at least that I really like on offense, as far as for what they gave up and what they got from what the rest of the market was willing to pay. They Rashad Perryman got a little bit too much and wanted kind of a role that he, you know, got some definite help with uh, and, with the Giants. Uh, Kevin White, this is an interesting, interesting signing just because he kind of almost fits into the idea of he's like if you looked at Sammy Watkins as far as with the selection, but without any of the production the Watkins had, plus kind of almost double the injuries. Not a guy who I, mean, I think he's had like 25 catches in like his four-year career. This is his first year yeah. kind of free agent. Nicest guy in the world. Like truly a guy works hard. Nicest guy. It's almost kind of reminds you of the Ryan Williams as far as with the Cardinals with those traumatic injuries. Trying to rehab his career. Played in a air raid West Virginia system as a guy who would take the top off the defense. Be able to go up, make contested catches. I saw a lot of things when I was watching his game that were there with Alex Wesley, but he had a lot more pure speed. This is a really intriguing signing for me, John, because you know I, I don't think we can expect that much from the number two I don't even think you expect all that much from Kevin White you're kind of hoping that this is the essentially a kind number two cornerback sign him booms has a great year another team signs into a multi-year deal and you can move on that would be I think the ultimate what you would want for Kevin White out of this year what, what are some of your thoughts on the Bears signing? I know you were in Chicago for a while there's a different perception that Bears fans have of White but there was never a negative thing that they said about him personally it's always just he was never able to get out of the training room yeah he he had some unfortunate injuries. I, I do want to quickly touch on the fact the Cardinals are giving him, I think, like $2.5 million. I would have assumed that they would have brought him in uh, for far less than that. I know that he would have had invites to, to camps and probably would have gotten the vets minimum, but the Cardinals are paying him like they think he's going to make the team next year. Well, a, l- a little bit. I know I had to double check. Let me see. This is something that just popped up a little bit on my timeline. I was actually going to bring this exact point up, at least with you, with um, with Darren Urban, because he talked about, at least with um, – uh, Kevin White's deal. His deal right now, it's a $1.5 million deal. He does get 400 k for the signing bonus. At least the 2.5 is kind of guaranteed. But really, for the most part, it's he gets a 50 k if he makes a 53-man roster in the first game and then $3,000 per 46-man million-dollar playtime. So really, it's essentially like it's like it's kind of a $2.5 million. Maybe it's a little more than that minimum. But the majority of that contract is going to be built around incentives for him being on time. So you kind of pay it a little bit, like you're right, as far as the $2.5 million up front. But he He's got a lot of incentive room to make. So essentially, they would be willing to pay him up to, I think it was like maybe four or five million. If I think it was five million. million, yeah. If he, if yeah, he, he, if all he of hits those, those incentives, incentives. Yeah, I think, I think it, we've talked about the need for a big physical outside receiver that has some Someone playmaking who, ability, that has some run speed, down yeah. field, who can catch the ball, who can, you know, be talked, able to actually yeah, do something like that. What we knew was the, the free agent class of wide receivers was probably the weakest it's been in some time. And the majority of the guys that were appealing played the position that the Cardinals already have an influx of, and that's slot receiver. But, you know, the Cole Beasley's, the Adam Humphreys of the world, guys that they run the underneath routes that Larry Fitzgerald has now mastered. Christian Kirk right now is probably a slot receiver playing outside, but he's got the kind of speed where you can live with that. The Cardinals do not have the 
the traditional X receiver playing on the outside. And so that's what Kevin White was drafted to be. Again, yes, I was in Chicago when that when that pick took place. I think it was in 2015. He was coming off of uh, a monster season at West Virginia. I think he only played two years of college football. He had something to the effect of 1,500 yards, double-digit touchdowns on, on a bad West Virginia team. Um, and blew and up he, the combine after yeah, that. He, yeah, he blew up the combine. He was overdrafted. I don't think anybody disputes that, but the Chicago yeah. Bears were – it was really funny because the Bears were transitioning from what one time having Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall, and they're like, no, we're just going to put all of our chips in the, in the Kevin White basket, let Marshall and, and Alshon go, mm-hmm. and, and Kevin White just has not been able to stay healthy at the next level. No. Um, he, he – listen, at the end of the day, it's a production-based business, but you know what? He, in a lot of ways, his career kind of mirrors Jonathan Cooper – but he has been more uh, injury prone, I think, and then just has not been, you know, I- impressive in any sense of the word when he's gotten a chance to be on the field. He did not have injury concerns at the collegiate level, but for whatever reason, certain guys hit this hit this game, and it's the physicality comes to the, to the next level. And, and some of his injuries are fluke injuries, so you hate to see it. But mm-hmm. I, I would not I would not put anything past Cliff Kingsbury just to say, hey. This guy, I think, if if he's healthy, can can contribute maybe on special teams. Maybe he can be implemented on certain packages on on third and fourth down. He can be a right. fifth or sixth receiver. Um, he's a veteran in this league. I mean, technically, he's been in the league for three years. He's considered a veteran player. I think you, you get your pension. Yeah, he's twenty six yeah, years old, and it feels your, like he's been in the league forever. But you've never seen him on the field. <laughs> yeah, you get your pension. I think is guaranteed after three years. So technically, yeah. he is a veteran in this league, and he chose to come play. And it, it, really, it's a, it's a kudos to him because not only is he going to have an opportunity, I think he probably looked at this receiving core and like Larry Fitzgerald's year to year. They only have Christian Kirk, you know, Shearfield's, you know, an undrafted guy that's coming into year two with a new coaching staff. I mean, he yeah. probably was sold to the idea of going to come in and probably have a chance to compete for a starting spot. And, and, and you know, we're, yeah. we're definitely going to address it in the draft. I, I would not be surprised if they added multiple receivers. You know, especially when when you have all those picks on day three, you can just kind of throw bodies <laughs> at the wall. But uh, I think I think he's going to have an opportunity to, to contribute, and I, I think that you know these are the kind of signings that that I I don't I don't want to say I get excited about, but you certainly it, it is very low risk. But I think the reward is you know maybe you get five six hundred yards out of him. Best case scenario, maybe he becomes a productive player for you and kind of is able to restart his career. Um, and at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, then you, 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 you cut ties before the season or during the season or whatever. But I, the Cardinals, I, I love the, the approach. You know, it's disappointing with the dead money that they weren't able to, to make more moves, specifically on the defensive line, Blake, and, and, and get some of these, these marquee free agents. But what I do like is the approach that they're taking at, at positions of need, like the offensive line and receiver, where nobody has really been – worthy of, 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 of dressing, or excuse me, of investing large amounts of, of money. Right. In yep. There hasn't been that one marquee free agent where the Cardinals have missed on in those two position groups. And you're saying, well, if they only had more money, they could have signed so-and-so or so-and-so. The only, I think the only scenario that I can think of in my mind is, you know, the Oakland Raiders trading Gabe Jackson to the New York, or excuse me, trading KO to the New York Jets because the Jets were able to inherit his cap space or his, his big cap hit you know, it, something to that effect, but there wasn't that like 26 year old stud guard that the Cardinals couldn't afford or that one 25 year old stud receiver that the Cardinals couldn't afford. Uh, it just wasn't available. And so they're trying yeah. to get creative and I commend Steve Kime for that because I think that 
it's going to pay dividends next year. Even if none of these guys pan out, it's not going to hamper you moving forward. And I think hopefully Steve Kime has learned his lessons with, with some of his free agency uh, experiences in years prior, specifically last off season. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, just like I was thinking even of how, like when they went into camp, you know, they were trusting Bryce Butler and Josh, I was it not Josh Cribbs, but it was, um, Oh gosh, it was the, uh, I'm trying to think of the Browns. I think it was Josh. So they basically were kind of trusting those two guys. And then they went out and drafted Christian Kirk and Kirk was the guy who was there. This year feels more of like, they're kind of recognizing, Hey, we know where we need to build and where to fix some of that. And so that's where they didn't sign as big of a deal as they did with Bryce Butler or kind of just say, Hey, you know, we've got Butler is like the number two where you started off camp like that. I think that they're at least taking some of their time. And again, like we've said, this is a, all of the deals that they've made are still basically short-term deals. They didn't pay anyone long-term. Some of that also, John, and this is something I've talked about, is if they do decide that they want to draft Kyler Murray, or even if they are going to have the perception that teams have that they're going to draft Kyler Murray, they have to hold at least $8 million in caps room open for them to be able to you know, take down that dead money for Josh Rosen. So if you're looking at how it's adding up, they don't really have a whole lot. The only way they'd really be able to create more would be restructuring Chandler Jones' contract or yep. essentially extending Patrick Peterson and then pushing a lot of that salary into your team. You're still kind of kicking the can down the road, but that would be the only thing I could at least see. And if they are going to draft Murray, then you're kind of limiting yourself again to that's $8 million that you could be spending on extending Peterson or adding another player, at least for the most part, adding a couple more players that are talented. And so that'll be, you know, if the Cardinals go sign another agent, you're like, oh, wow, this has kind of gone past the line. Then you'd have to get creative or try to figure it all out for that one. So some people have said the Cardinals have a bit of cap room because of the fact of how much dead money they have, and they may even be eating more. Um, right now, we with the cuts that we saw for Jermaine Gresham and uh, Mike Glennon, they may not be pushing those as June 1st cap cuts where you kind of put some of the cap this year, some of it next year. It'll be interesting if they decide to eat it all this year just so that they don't have to go into the next year. That's never it's never been Kimes' MO. He always seems to kind of like having more cap room and flexibility in this year, and then next year will kind of be come what it may. But that is the one thing as far as, uh, you know, a concern that I would have for the most part is, you know, you're, you're kind of going to be limiting yourself, whether it's going to be now maybe what we see all of a sudden is, oh, the, Card the Raiders have traded up to the number one pick, and suddenly the Cardinals sign like – three more guys you're like oh okay that was what they were looking for all along yep. essentially. but that's kind of the hope at this point i don't think we're going to have a resolution of this up until draft day is what my gut feeling tells me because i don't know if i see a team moving up but that that would be at least the the one thing we would say and, and talk about the uh other signing at least that we have today with josh shaw would be kind of a depth position he just has never really seemed to recover not only just in his image in the public limelight since he was kind of this national viral story about how he you know rescued his you know, i believe it was a young cousin or a nephew from you know, drowning in a nearby pool and then it kind of breaks out more of the story of well no he wasn't there no, he wasn't at this place. Turns out he was at a house party arguing with his girlfriend. Police were called and showed up. He jumps out the window. He's like, I'm a USC football player, potentially, you know, day two NFL draft pick, breaks both of his ankles. It just has never really seemed to live up to the billing. He's just one of those guys, like a Ben Ibn Wickery, you bring him in. He does fit, I will say, the size and the profile of more of that 3 4 the press. And he's played a bit of safety for that, too, as far as that. So if he's able to kind of be a guy who you can you know, have as a depth spot. I don't think he's going to be 
pressing for the nickel corner spot. I think the Cardinals may still be in need of a nickel corner. Um, we'll have to just see how that will turn out if that ends up being the case. The guy I did want to spend some time talking about, John, is making his return to the Valley as well. Quarterback Brett Hundley, not Tyrod Taylor, who was the other name rumored, um, not Mike Glennon, is the backup quarterback for the Cardinals, has a connection from the Packers with Tom Clements. And this is an interesting one because I think we're, we, we, I think, had a, a discussion earlier with um, – what was it with Derek Klaas? And he was talking about how people are going to read into Brett Hundley, whatever they want to read into. They'll, some will read into it as he's a mobile and athletic guy who can buy time at least running out of the pocket. Others will just look at him and saying, hey, he and Josh Rosen are great friends at UCLA, and he fits that whole more prototypical type in RPO that Cliff would run, where if you're, he's more identical to Rosen than a smaller guy like a Tyrod Taylor would potentially be. And Tyrod's not small, but the way in the style of play would be a little bit more similar to Kyler. I, I think that this is an interesting move because it's it's not necessarily a move that you would think as far as being a higher quality backup. Like this isn't like when you were looking at a Drew Stanton, how he was viewed by teams. This isn't even how a lot of teams viewed Mike Glennon. A lot of people are like looking at him as like you know a third third string or project guy. But I can't help but wonder if the fit of what he is and where he is for the Cardinals, the knowledge of Clements for all of that. If that's why the Cardinals look at him and maybe he ends up performing a little bit better here than he previously did in a Mike McCarthy system that really kind of at the end of its tenure was kind of Aaron making up a lot of things on the fly, if we're being honest. So I, I, I kind of like this signing overall, John. He's obviously not going to be the starting quarterback, but what, what were some of your thoughts? Do you think that this is any type of indication of the Cardinals leaning one way toward Rosen or Murray? Well, we talked about it, Blake, before, um, you know, the signing took place that this could be a possibility just connecting the dots on who fits Kingsbury's style and, you know, could a Davis Webb trade be in the works? Potentially, we, we assumed the Giants are going to go for a different quarterback. Webb had ties to Kingsbury. Tyrod Taylor is a, is a quality veteran that backed up Baker Mayfield last year. Could he back up Kyler Murray? And then they signed Hundley, which we talked about. And it's like, oh, can I connect the dots to, to Rosen? Eh, maybe, maybe to Murray. And really, it, it didn't. It didn't show their hand one way or the other. And I, I wonder if that was that was intentional. Um, now, I, I was a big Hunley fan dating back to his days at UCLA. If you remember his his freshman season, I believe at UCLA, he I, I think was All Pac-12 uh, freshman freshman of the year. It's like almost thirty touchdowns. I mean, he was. A, a prospect on the rise at, at one point was, was projected to be a first-round pick and then never really improved. Um, part of that was Jim Mora and, the, you know, just the, the, the poor staff that he put together offensively at UCLA. And so, you know, Hunley probably would have been better off with an offensive coach, needless to say, at the collegiate level. I think he would have gone higher than the fifth round where the Packers drafted him. You just alluded to the fact that he had Mike McCarthy as his his de facto offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, that probably didn't help things at all. Um, and so he had the opportunity to, like we just talked about with Kevin White, kind of restart his career a little bit. And uh, he's been mentioned uh, multiple times, I think, in the press and in interviews that the new offense of Kingsbury is what drove him to Arizona. The opportunity yeah. to be able to, to learn this offense um, and, and to hopefully showcase his ability either through injury or during the preseason could lead him to potentially finding uh, success down the line. I don't want to project him as a future starter, but I, yeah. I do think – You trust Cliff when it comes to quarterbacks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and look where he came from. He came from Green Bay where it was like mm, McCarthy. Then he went to Seattle, and it was 
Pete Carroll, defensive head coach, and so he, he didn't was, even play a snap because of Russell Wilson. And I like it, like you're right. saying, I, like you're saying, I was there. I actually worked for ASU for when I was over there at college, and I had one football game that I worked for that year. And it was the ASU UCLA game where Brett Hundley threw for four touchdowns. I think it was he threw for three touchdowns, ran for a fourth, 305 yeah. yards, and it was a final score of 62 to 27. It was a just complete demolishing for that. Yeah, moment. he he is he is talented. He I mean he's got this. He's almost six four, two two twenty five when he was coming out. Um, and I, smoking, like it, yeah, it's what you want yeah, kind he, of in your backup yeah, a, quarterback. A lot of qualities. Yeah, the Pac twelve breeds NFL prospects, specifically the quarterback position. I mean, like. But imagine if Brett Hundley had, you know, the Oklahoma, yeah, not to not to go on a Kyler Murray ramp, but imagine if he went to Oklahoma and had, you know, Lincoln Riley at his disposal and those offensive skill players. I mean, like, you know, a lot of it is just based on the situation that that you're thrust into. Surely Josh Rosen knows that by now. So I, I think I think there there is something to be said that I think Cliff Kingsbury, assuming he can have some success offensively this first year is going to attract guys to come and, and play for him based on the productivity. I think that's – we keep going back to Sean McVay. That's what he's doing in L.A. And so hopefully with, with a lesser extent with some of these signings like a Hundley, um, the Kingsbury can have that reputation around the league. Uh, but as far as connecting the dots with Rosen or Murray, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I want it badly to be that he and, he and Rosen are buddies, and that's why they did it. But I, I tend to think that it's the latter. Yeah, that's where it's weird is, like, for me, it's also a spot of it's, like, the, you know, like, it, it'll be especially weird if Rosen's going to be on the team through OTAs and practices where it's not until draft day. Like, a lot of people think Rosen would get dealt before draft day. Um, if that is the case, then we'll see. But it'd just be really funny. If like, hey, Brett, what's been going on? It's good to see you talking about that one. And then it's, like, a few months later, it's like, okay, well, uh, bye. <laughs> it's just it's one of those weird spots of where they have a great relationship. Like, it's it's not quite, like, maybe the Cliff, well, I mean, like, cliff Kyler relationship. But, you know, like, they had a lot that was – discussed between them there are a lot of similarities especially in their playing style like I even mentioned it when, when they signed him I was like gosh like if you probably could Tyrod Taylor's still out there he's not like looking for he's no team is signing him for a starting job you could have just brought in Tyrod Taylor and it have been exactly like the the Browns would have had last year with a guy who's able to run around you have an injury to Kyler Murray where he gets hurt you can run the same type of plays you get an injury to Josh Rosen bring in Tyrod Taylor you're like changing out some of the playbook at least just because of what Taylor's strengths are that was the one thing that was kind of an indication to me at least that maybe there's a little bit here for that one because like you're talking about Hundley he came out RPO style quarterback in a west coast offense he could buy some time with his legs and ultimately was a guy that never really lived up to a lot of the hype that people thought that he was going to I think it was just an area he just wasn't accurate enough as far as for his development where you didn't get to see that change as much um uh, let's see as far as with the Cardinals the only other thing I can at least think of right now is the um just for some of the past I know we talked a little bit already about Charles Clay Alfred and Brooks Reed the only two-year signing that the Cardinals had for any of their players over here in free agency were Hicks and Robert Alfred and those are the only two guys outside of maybe Terrell Suggs obviously who will probably be a 75 percent or at least a part-time player of some sort the only other guy who I think would be anywhere near to a starter is Charles Clay. And that's really interesting to me to see how the Cardinals have effectively, you know, in a year where they've had cap space, they've had to turn over a lot of roster. They essentially kind of ate the dead money a lot this year and added a lot of short-term guys for that one. And also chose in a lot of ways to not re-sign some of their own guys. Um, so let's go over some of those players that we have here because I did want to at least make sure that we didn't go from talking to them. Uh, the biggest one is the Giants and the Bucks are – 
right now the kind of 2015 Cardinals rebuilt. Olsen Pierre and Marcus Golden are both New York Giants back with James Betcher. Dale Buchanan and uh, also at least as of today Earl Watford are now Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Odea Bushi is a guy the Cardinals would have liked to have kept. He goes to the Lions. They get the backup guy in Max Garcia. And J.J. Nelson, a lot of speed going to the Raiders. Mike Upati, essentially, they traded him with the Seahawks. I have a feeling that's going to be tough for him to see a starting spot, at least for the most part. But uh, the one that was most interesting to me, at least, John, as we ties in, was J.J. Nelson to the Raiders. When you talk about Derek Carr, he's had some of the lowest yards per attempt of the past few years. Like his deep ball, like when we looked at him in college going deep all the time, just hasn't been as consistent in the NFL. I don't know if it's been the lack of talent or what's been around him, but it just felt like that the Raiders, if you were looking at it, were rather than building a lot of yards after catch guys or a lot of guys who would be able to create, they signed like big tall outside guy in uh, Tyrell Williams, the speedster who's going to try to like separate downfield and JJ Nelson. And then another guy in Antonio Brown, who obviously is like a top wide receiver, but really is a stretch the field type of guy overall with then to go with a guy in car. It just, not that it screams Kyler Murray to me, but it just kind of remind me back of that kind of whole, um, that whole, uh, the kind of sourcing that was saying that, hey, the Raiders might be the guys who would want Kyler for the most part. I thought that was kind of interesting. What were some of your thoughts, at least, on the overall fits and how coaches wanting their players and how that could not only – we've seen that with the Cardinals, but with some of these guys, do you think that this is a spot where the Cardinals would look back on and say that they made a mistake with letting some of these guys walk? I don't know if any of them are – I mean, the Cardinals are admitting their mistakes right now because they're the worst team in football and they're picking first in the draft. So I don't – I don't know if you can say letting certain guys go from that team last year. Um, now, granted, the, the, for whatever reason, Steve Wilkes opted not to play Dale Buchanan for majority of last season. But um, I don't know if you can definitively say that the Cardinals lost any players and are worse as, as a result. I will say, w- with Marcus Golden, to me, uh, has a chance to be the best player of that, of that group. I think he will be. Um, mm-hmm. Marcus Golden had 13 and a half sacks as a second-year player in 2016, should have been named to the Pro Bowl, was criminally underrated, I think was a player that the Cardinals fully expected to extend, had an ACL uh, the following season, early in the season, the Cardinals switched schemes. He's coming back from an ACL, which essentially takes two years to come back to full strength. And 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 now, the, coincidentally, the Cardinals are going back to a 3-4. Golden goes to reunite with James Betcher, right. whom he had his success under, I could see Marcus Golden. He's on a one-year deal, parlaying that into a nice contract next off-season. Pass rushers are paid a, paid a premium. Golden was a high second-round pick. Yep. Uh, I he he's somebody who's incredibly easy to root for, and he gets a lot of his production after the fact. That he's incredibly hardworking. He does not quit on plays. I could see him going and having a nice career elsewhere, and I, I think the Cardinals could end up regretting that, especially if you if you talk about taking somebody like Kyler Murray. You know, I always thought that if the Cardinals weren't going to take Bosa, that bringing back Marcus Golden made a lot of sense for this franchise. Yeah. They obviously feel differently, but I remember a Steve Kime quote specifically talking about when they paid Chandler Jones, and I think he even mentioned either in the press conference or maybe on the radio that, man, I can't, I can't imagine what Marcus Golden's going to end up making one day, um, just lauding him as, as such a great player and, and knowing what kind of contract he's going to demand and Based on the media reaction, I think they feel the same way that, that he was kind of criminally underpaid this offseason. Uh, I think he's somebody that could make a lot of noise. They they shipped out Olivier Vernon. I, I think they've upgraded, in my opinion, with Marcus Golden. I think he's going to be a better player for them. So it's unfortunate to see him go. You know, you know I'm a big Dale Buchanan fan based on 
his early production with the team, but his his play dropped off to the point where you know you couldn't justifiably bring him back. Uh, reuniting with Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians again is, is probably his best bet for for a rebound. But you know, outside of those two guys, really, like none of the other guys surprised me, and 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 I didn't. You know, I wasn't sorry to see the rest of them go. Yeah, and there's some of the guys that are still out there as far as for them. Like the Cardinals, they've kept um, a couple of players. Like they did an exclusive rights tender on Ricky Seals-Jones and Daniel Manier, as well as Jeremy Vunovich. He'll be staying. Uh, Zach Moore got the exclusive rights as well as Daryl Daniels. Um, I know they've got a two – I think it's two restricted free agents in John Wetzel and Jeremy Cash. I don't know if Wetzel will stay on – this staff or not, um, they're not going to bring back Joe Barksdale. The thing that's interesting is you take a look at some of the players who are left. You still have Trey Boston and Rodney Gunter are two guys who are still unrestricted free agents. Gunter is the one guy who I think they'd like to keep. It'll just be a question then of the dollars with fit. I think the biggest thing right now is you may be competing with Cleveland for him because he had one of his best career years under Steve Wilkes. Um, the Browns, however, did just sign Sheldon Richardson to a pretty sizable deal. Seemed to be pretty much set on the defensive line. He may have a depth role, whereas I could see him, but Essentially, like, you know, being kind of a swing and swing out starter or rotating for the most part. Uh, he would be the guy I would love to sign. I don't know as far as with, you know, how the cap works or all that, as far as with how they're trying to keep up, whether it's this, you know, um, you know, whether it's a fake or if it's real as far as this cap hit with Josh Rosen. Boston's an interesting guy because I think we both are in kind of agreement of if you can keep Gunter at the right deal, maybe a three-year deal where you can tell, hey, this is going to be, you know, a uh, you know, it's a payday. It's obviously going to be more of closer to depth money, but you're going to be expected to be kind of a spot starter in that mid-range. What are your thoughts, at least on Boston? Do you think that the Cardinals are should bring him back, that they'll want to bring him back, especially now that Buda Baker has been moved back to safety and the team already made their play for DJ Swearinger? I don't know if there's really, like when we talked about Dayon Buchanan, because of his small size, I don't know if there's a spot for Trey Boston on this roster, honestly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think when, when they brought back T.J. Swearinger, they knew that they probably wouldn't bring back Trey Boston. The The safety market has been an interesting one to watch, specifically over the course of the last maybe two or three off-seasons outside of the outliers, uh, like we just saw with Landon Collins, who got an obscene amount of money, and Earl Thomas, who's going to be in Canton one day. If you're a good safety, but yeah. you're not elite, uh, if you're a quality starter, but not Pro Bowl level, you're probably going to be waiting a while to get your big payday. And I think you, a lot of these guys can be had for one or two year deals. I mean, the Cardinals, I think signed Trey Boston early last summer um, yeah. after he, after they were, he, they publicly quote unquote shamed him. And he based on the contract that they offered and he posted on social media that he was offended by it. And he ended up taking their contract offer after the fact. Yep. So I, you know, I would never say never with Trey, but I think when they claimed DJ Swearinger, there was a familiarity with what he could bring to the table. And an improvement, yeah. honestly, in a lot yes. of ways. Like, Swearinger was playing at a high level before the scam, yeah. like, released and cut him. And so it's like maybe you're bringing some of that into your locker room, but it's also an area of – there's a lot, I think, that's happening on the – it was just funny because I know, like, there's a lot of things where, like, even when all the things were negative about Wilkes, there never was kind of like a – you know, throw under the bus for Welch from the team. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just with how the players were, the personality, whatever it was. Maybe there was still at least a respect for Wilkes, even though there was a disagreement. Like I remember like even Patrick Peterson was talking about how, you know, 
opposing wide receivers or opposing corners that come up to him after game say, man, why are you playing like so far back? Why are you playing so yeah. far back in zone? And so it's like, Hey, there never was that spot where he even came out and said like, you know, I, uh, he never like, you know, trashed the team for that one. So maybe there's a level of respect. Maybe that's not the case with Swearinger. We'll end up seeing how it turns out, but it, it was just an overall aspect of Cardinals, I think upgraded and they've got this, you know, fourth claim on the waiver wire all the way up. Yeah. Until well, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it, Blake. I think, I think the hesitation to sign a lot of guys right now, they know that they've got, you know, a good amount of draft picks come April. Kime's always busy with the undrafted guys. He wants to be able to, to secure that young, cheap talent. They've got the pre- waiver priority throughout the, the duration of the offseason into the preseason, and he's always, yeah. always active uh, in July and August. So I think that we're going to wait out this first wave. You know, I'd be surprised before the draft if they didn't address at least one spot on the defensive line, but – Again, Kime's comments to me jump out when he said that, that, that Vance Joseph's scheme is based around outside linebackers and corners, and those are the two positions that they've addressed outside of Jordan Hicks consistently since the offseason has started. With that being said, I know that they had conversations with Rodney Gunter you know, late in the season about yep. bringing him back. I, I would not be surprised if they rekindled that based totally. on his market. Probably not. Uh, you know, I thought it was a done deal. He would be gone based on scheme fit. But now, you know, we're talking about the end of the the end of the month's familiarity with the player. Maybe he's starting to ascend. Maybe you can bring him back on a cheap one or two year deal, um, at least for some consistency. Then you've at least got if you bring Rodney Gunter back, you've at least got two thirds of your defensive line ready to go with Corey Peters and Gunter moving right. into the off season. You have a chance to sign one or two more veterans. Of course, add via the draft. Maybe Quinnen Williams is in play. So. I don't think it's as dire straits as everybody would, would, would like to make it out to be, but I, I, I absolutely do think it's scheme fit. I think that the Cardinals put a, put a primary on edge rushers and corners, and, and that's what we've seen them yep. address so far. They got the guys in the middle of the field. It'll be interesting. Like I think if they sign Gunter and Brandon Marshall, at least my take would be up. Wipe, you know, clean off the hands, done deal right there. I think that you're set in free agency as far as yeah. you've got your starters that you need. You filled all of the different roles and positions, and then teams also aren't going to say, "Hey, if you're going to run at him with Corey Peters and Rodney Gunter, great, we can draft Nick Bosa and feel fine. You're going to run at us at least for the most part with needing pass rushers. Hey, cool, we've got Quinn and Williams. We'll be able to take at least no matter what you take on that spot." you'll be set. Or if you're going to say, Hey, we're going to go ahead and take Callum Murray. Okay. I personally may disagree with that, but you then would have all of those positions, at least that would be filled. And you'd be able to at least say, Hey, for the next one to two years, then you'd be able to focus on in the draft with having the core team you'd be able to build around of. If hopefully you're, you're hoping the Hicks will be there. If Reddick can take the step forward this year, I don't know if I'm going to be able to bank on that. I mean, year three is always going to be the crucial. We saw Kevin Minter struggle for two years, become a, essentially a starter in year three, wasn't a high level, yep. eventually slipped back to being a backup for the most part. Maybe that'll be what Reddick's case is, but you at least be able to have a couple of years and then you can just rely on, you know, the draft and then the free agency period of next year being able to trade some more picks like you were able to acquire with Marcus Gilbert. It's a two-year process the Cardinals are going to have to go through. The most important thing they can do, I think, right now is make sure they don't have any huge gaping holes going into the draft so that way they at least have the flexibility of not having to say, gosh, like, Gunter got signed by the Browns. We have no one to play defensive tackle next to, uh, you know, next to Corey Peters right now. We'd love to take Nick Post, we have a number one on our board, but for needs, we're just going to have to go there. And then if that's the case and you feel like you're put into that's never a situation that you want to be in as if you're kind of forced. And you want to make sure that you're getting the best spot, especially at the top of the, uh, the NFL draft. Uh, let's wrap it up at least here tonight real quick with the uh, 
two quick things. We've got a quick mock draft that I'm going to pull up and talk to you. But I wanted to talk about Tyron Matthew betting on himself, getting rewarded, kind of being back up there. The safety market exploded this offseason in the NFL. Maybe it's because of the expanded cap room, but I, I think at least it's a, can't go at least without saying of no matter what happens with the Cardinals, he played well last season. Still didn't play to the level I think that you were hoping for. Like he's a, he's gone from you know, a free safety cornerback and a nickel guy to now essentially being a strong safety still has a valuable role. He's now seeming like he played every snap last year for the car for the, his land is last year for the Cardinals and every snap, I think his third most for the Texans and uh, just the commemorating, at least for all of that. It's, it's tough when you see some of those guys working, you know, be able to make plays. Alex Okafor just got assigned to a good deal with the chiefs. Um, it's interesting. Like the more that you see a lot of these Steve Kime pick Watford, they're still hanging around in the league for a lot of these day two or day three picks. The first rounders have just been the ones that haven't. And I just want to kind of bring that up as a, as a talking point in discussion, John. Well, I, I think with Tyron, he's, he's going to a contender. I mean, get used to seeing Tyron on TV every other week because Kansas city is going to be in prime time yeah. consistently because of the Mahomes factor. But I, I think Tyron works for a team like that because they feel like they're, you know, a missing piece away defensively, especially in the back end. They cut Eric Berry, who's, you know, probably on the downside of his career, was overpaid for some time. Tyron is, is kind of a hybrid secondary player at this point. He can play slack corner. He can play a little bit in the outside. Of course, he can play uh, the rangy box safety if you need him to. So, I, I, you know, a lot of people are frustrated he's not still in Arizona. You know, I, at the end of the day, he's a really good player. He's not an all-pro, and I think just based on where this team's at right now, He's probably the difference between maybe one win, but you know, is it does it make sense for a team like the Arizona Cardinals to invest in a, in a Swiss Army knife like like him when they don't have an offensive line or defensive line to speak yeah. of? That that you know, it's just they're at, the Cardinals and Tyron are at two different points, and and I don't want to say their career, but really, it's they're at two different points right now, and they didn't make a lot of sense for each other. Mm-hmm. And Tyron was Bruce Arians' guy. I mean, like Bruce and Tyron had a special relationship, even though Kime drafted them. Um, and he grew up in Arizona, and it was unfortunate when they had their falling out. I don't think the Cardinals lost a ton. I mean, the, their play really has been on the downturn because they can't stop the run, and, and they're, they're horrific offensively. I mean, like, Tyron's presence may be felt lacking in the locker room a little bit. I think he was a leader defensively, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him, but I think it's going to be tough for a lot of Cardinal fans to see him playing potentially in AFC championship games for the next couple of years because I think that that – could very well happen, um, but good to, good to see him get paid. He, like you mentioned, he bet on himself. Cardinals asked him to take a pay pay cut. He, he scoffed at the idea, which you know you should bet on yourself at the end of the day, and you should you should take the money that you think is being owed to you. So yeah, he, you should bet gonna, on yourself. You should run the forty eight year pro day, Kyle. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, don't even get me started <laughs> on that. But uh, yeah. uh, no, I, Ty, Tyron is is I think. You, you think about it, he's like only 26 years old. I mean, he seems like he's been in the league for forever. And so I think at the end of the day, when it's, he's going to be, I think, a, a talking point for the league to, to showcase, you know, the future draft classes. Like, you can turn your life around. This guy did it. He's, you know, an ambassador, I think, for the league. I think he's going to be, you know, a big part of, you know, the NFL movement, rehabilitation movement yeah. for, for players who have, you know, troublesome past at the, at the collegiate level. And so – that's that's it's going to be great that he was able to start his career and have some success in Arizona. And I really do believe that not only would he have won defensive rookie of the year before he tore his ACL in 2013, I think he was going to be the defensive player 
of the year in 2015 before he blew out his knee. So, again, injuries that you just can't predict, which is unfortunate. Yep, definitely agree, John. Um, that I'm really happy for him. Again, I, I even talked about like uh, how I feel like I was cursed because I was a guy who waited a year just to make sure at least and did wanted to support just because of the incredible story that Tyron had of turning his life around, being able to learn from, you know, it was just one of those great redemptive stories to be able to see him. And he just never was able to reach that superstardom that we thought he could have reached in his death kind of, uh, or not so say does ACL it took it it was like a death had happened on the team and it deflated the whole thing after that Philadelphia Eagles game that was kind of like almost the high point of you know what the Cardinals were in that season up until the playoff game with Larry Fitzgerald let's wrap it up tonight real quick I've got I pulled at least two quick things of a little five round mock draft I did pull for five rounds because normally I think even though the draft lasts four rounds in a with 120 I think that unless the Cardinals are going to trade back a lot I do see them potentially spending one or two of those day three picks to move up into the top 120 get another guy on their top 120 board so I'm going to go over just these two options I used the draft network their predictive board and kind of their overall talent board I know some people have had stuff that's been under fire a lot of weird draft Twitter stuff that's been there I, I found it's been a really a, a great and handy tool to be able to use what's great and that I'm going to start working with is I can upload my own personal you know big board to be able to go off of so However, I think a player would get drafted. I can then use as that talent. So what I have for the first mock draft when I ran through was I ran and had uh, with Nick Bosa was the first pick. Michael Dieter, the offensive tackle, a lot of people have moving to guard from Wisconsin at 33. Pick 65, Terry McLaurin, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. Pick uh, 103, Antoine Wesley out of T, uh, Texas Tech. And then kind of the trade-up one of the fifth, Max Sharping, the offensive tackle out of Northern Illinois. So you have an edge, you've got kind of a guard, you get a tackle who you can at least see as developmental, and you get the two wide receivers. Second draft I had, the first pick was Quinn Williams. Uh, Noah Font was there available at 33. I don't know if that's going to be the case, you know, come draft day, but we've seen stranger things at least that have been able to happen. Um, Yadni Kajusti, the offensive tackle at West Virginia, and then two defensive linemen, Kalen Saunders and Isaiah Bugs out of Western Illinois and Alabama were the other two picks that I had. So you've got a really heavy defensive line draft. You've got three defensive linemen, essentially. Um, one guy who can play defensive end, one who can play more of like a nose tackle for the most part. Um, I probably would have, you know, looking back on it, maybe you could have gone Bosa for both drafts for the most part. John, what, what are some of your thoughts on those two drafts? Do you have one that you would prefer like a little bit more than the other? Oh, the Bosa draft, absolutely. You're able to get a player like Bosa and then turn around and get a player of the caliber uh, of the Washington, or the, excuse me, the Wisconsin offensive interior lineman. Uh, I, I, I think that is my dream scenario for this franchise right now, assuming you can't trade down as you get Bosa and then you get a plug-and-play starter from a traditional power up front on the offense. I mean, how many times do Wisconsin offensive linemen not pan out at the next level? Especially yeah, it has to be a lack of guys. offensive linemen, yeah. So, I, so I, I, I like that scenario. I like taking two wide receivers. Again, I have no problem taking a receiver early, um, and multiple receivers is totally fine by me as long as you address the offensive line at some point within those first three picks. You've done that. You get the best player in the draft in Bosa. By after that point, you're playing with house money, in my opinion. And I love, I love the developmental tackle because you don't need him to play right away. Yep. Um, just like the Cardinals with Massey as as a rookie, and they took him in the fourth round, ended up working out. So uh, I bet it by far. If if I could sign up for that today, I would, and I would never have to hear about Kyler Murray again coming to Arizona. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope. I, I think for me personally, this is something. Even if I take a look at the second draft, and let's say that I swap out Quinn and. With Nick Bosa, let's say you got Nick Bosa on the edge, Noah Font at tight end, Dodney could you stay at offensive tackle, Kalen Saunders and Isaiah Bugs. I would think that would probably be a better option overall. I mean, you're not taking the three defensive linemen. 
you end up with uh, because you're taking one at linebacker with Bosa. So it'll be interesting to see what the Cardinals do. Um, I, I know that there's a lot that we still have to work out uh, up to it. There's a lot of things we'll still have to find out as far as not just with the visits, with the draft. Um, and we'll see. It might be there in a few weeks where we'll find out. The biggest thing, obviously, for the Cardinals is we'll probably have another show for you at least after our you know, quarterback breakdown with Derek that you guys will get later this week. Um, we'll also have another show I know that will be coming up just trying to uh, you know, work out with some of the NFC West. But the next big thing, obviously, will be with the NFL OTAs because those are coming up really, really fast. The first OTA for the Cardinals, I know they begin, I believe, an extra – I want to say it's like extra five or extra almost like not quite two weeks, but they're going to be getting a lot of extra time because they've got a brand new coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Um, so you'll be looking at, uh, let me pull up the first date here. Yeah. April 1st, begin off season workout program. So if you're looking at today's date right now, today is March the 19th, essentially April 1st is the first day for OTA. So you're looking at about a 10 day window right now, 10 or 11 days, of if Josh Rosen is going to get traded before OTAs in the card, yeah. I don't think that it happens. I think it's going to, if it does happen, I think it's going to be draft day because either you're not going to get the value or because it doesn't happen at all. But that's what most people are saying is, Hey, like either they found a suitor, they're going to make a movie or they haven't. It's, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But yeah, the, so we'll have another show at least for you within the next 10 days after OTAs begin. It'll be interesting to hear if things are going to start to fall in a different direction uh, I don't think we're going to start hearing the Cardinals are interested in Dwayne Haskins, although that would be funny if that ends up being the ultimate irony would be the Cardinals did take Haskins at once because Johnny would obviously keep the account, but Cardinals would still be having a well, – I know we'll have an annual league meeting March 24th through 27th. The uh, That's always in Phoenix every year. So they, they always kind of converge during the spring. What will be really interesting will be if the annual meeting converges on the 24th to 27th, April 1st is the start of OTAs. I think that if there is a sweet spot where a team had to work it out or if the Cardinals are dead set on taking Murray and trading Rosen would happen probably between March 28th and 29th up to the 31st then just so that that way they'd get that taken care of. If there's not a move by OTAs, then that'll probably be a box checked in the keeping Josh Rosen category. John, I know that's what you and I are hoping is going to be the case for the Cardinals. And uh, we'll have a bit more information at least on some of that coming up with our show and Derek with this week, at least yeah, did it. It's a great job at least breaking down um, Kyler and uh, Josh, what they are, <laughs> what they could be as well. Absolutely, Blake. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thank you all again to our listeners. We've got um, some great, awesome feedback. I know we'll haven't had as much time, I know, to take questions. There's been a lot that's been happening. Um, we had some overall, I think, great um, – I would say at least great responses that we've had from a lot of our listeners. We just wanted to say that you guys do mean a lot to us. We do want to thank you each and every week for those of you who are, you know, the ROTB podcast faithful. I know we had one guy who sent us a tweet, at least to this, it was almost like a therapy session from at Beasley124, helping sort through it all. Thanks for putting stuff into perspective. Well, thank you, uh, at Beasley124. We appreciate that. I'll give you a bit of a shout out there. Uh, again, if you are one of those people tuning in for the first time wanting to uh, check us out, we have past podcasts available again on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, as well as Stitcher Radio. And we'll always find us, of course, at revengeofthebirds.com and or at ROTV Pod account. Make sure that you're following us. We'll have kind of our greatest hits or best tweets that John and I have throughout the week, as well as our content will be able to get found there. Um, where, again, can the Cardinals fans find you if they want to interact, John? 
I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Yeah, go listen to some of these archived episodes when I was really excited when the Cardinals hired Steve Wilkes. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, well, we were both right. I think part of it was for me. I said, hey, he's my number two guy that I had. We were more looking at a guy who, you know, he got fired before Steve Wilkes did as an offensive coordinator. We'll see if the Cardinals are going to be dead set with this new regime of Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph and co. Thanks again for uh, listening, everyone. Um, Make sure you're checking back in later this week and have a, a good time and go Cards.